Hey everyone, welcome back to Viking Fuel. I know we've had a huge pause and I'm incredibly sorry about that. Uh, my name is Anthony North. Uh, I am no longer broadcasting out in San Diego as I've actually moved to uh, Arizona to help take care of my grandfather as well as live with my brother Rick Sparks. And uh, interesting thing about that, my brother Rick and I will be uh, opening a meadery up in Oregon in the near future. Uh, it will be named Bloodbeard Mead Hall. A uh, quick shout out to John Opgard from Opgard Meadery. He has been a huge help in the process of trying to figure out how to start a meadery, and I cannot give him enough thanks for that. Uh, also, I mean, obviously, there's people all around that have always been great for giving me advice uh, between Billy Belts over at Lost Cause Meadery, uh, Robert Ratcliffe, uh, who wrote the uh, Let There Be Mead series. I mean, just there, there's a very huge amount of amazing people who are always helpful. Uh, actually, speaking of Robert Ratcliffe, uh, I wanted to mention uh, my next batch that I'm personally going to be making. Uh, it's actually going to be a slight alteration, this isn't my first time doing this in a podcast, of his uh, Blueberry Bists, uh, Bliss uh, semi-sweet melomel recipe that is in his uh, Let There Be Melomels book, which is on uh, page 58. So I've been looking over this recipe, which uh, suggests using 71B, which I do plan to use that, obviously using GoFirm, FirmAid, uh, both of those items are things that I've always considered really important to your mead because GoFirm helps with your yeast population, make sure that they uh, populate really healthy. Uh, and then obviously your Fermat O helps provide the nutrients that uh, your yeast needs when you're making a mead, such as uh, nitrogen, which uh, honey will not provide nitrogen to your yeast. Uh, also, a lot of people like to talk about how raisins are a nutrient. Science has proven this is not true. And I would heavily recommend using something else aside from raisins for nutrients. Now, raisins can be used for flavoring. Keep that in mind. Also, dried prunes, things like that, currants, they're all great things to use for flavoring. But dealing with nutrients, you really want to go with something like Fermato, K, something like that to make sure your yeast is actually getting the proper amount of nutrients that it needs and there's a great resource uh out there to figure out how to use uh what's called tosna uh it's uh on the mead made right website and uh i've noticed recently uh carvin wilson who's an amazing mead maker has won multiple awards he's also actually fellow brother in arms of mine uh he was in the same branch as me actually uh the marine corps uh, he's been doing a lot with the Mean Made Right uh, website as well as the podcast, and uh, he's actually currently running a lot of the stuff going on for the Mazer Cup as well. Uh, if you need somebody who knows way too much about home brewing and has won way too many awards that you want to talk to, he's probably the best person I could think of to reach out to and talk to. Uh, so going back to the recipe that's uh, in the book from Robert Ratcliffe, um, the recipe calls for uh, for a one gallon batch, uh, about three pounds of blueberry honey. This is where I'm going to change things up a little bit for my recipe. I'm instead going to use clover honey, but rather than just using clover honey, I'm going to make things interesting by making this a boche. Uh, 
Obviously, I will be using the pectigangzymes that he's recommended, and I will also be using the blueberries. Uh, he says one pound per gallon, which I think that's a reasonable amount. I might step that up a little bit, depending on the flavor. Uh, we'll see. Um, also, in secondary, he mentions using uh, sodium metabisphite as well as so uh, potassium sorbate. So, one of those is your uh, stabilizer. It's uh, basically what prevents the yeasts uh, from uh, pr producing any more CO2. Not necessarily kills the yeast off, but makes it harder for them. Uh, the other one is your sterilizer. So this prevents the yeast from, uh, basically, uh, spawning more yeast, uh, producing more, which honestly, in late fermentation, there is a point where if your yeast continues to populate, it can actually mutate and uh, create more off flavors. So this is, these items, in my personal opinion, are incredibly vital to making a good mead. Uh, and then he mentions uh, final racking, a few other uh, small steps. Uh, he, I mean, obviously he mentions in his directions, you should clean and sanitize all of your equipment. Um, he mentions uh, using heat uh, kind of to help blend the honey. Uh, with me caramelizing the honey, this is a step for me personally that I don't necessarily need to do because I'm heating the honey, honey to a point of where the sugars in the honey are getting caramelized. Uh, he also mentions water. Uh, personally, uh, now this is a subject that many people have different opinions on, but personally I like to use spring water for my yeast as I find that the minerals that are in spring water tend to help yeast be more healthy. There's other people that'll use uh, water mixed with like salts and stuff like that. Uh, it depends on what you're doing, um, especially if you're doing like a, a braggot, you kind of want to use your water based off more off of a beer recipe in that regard. Um, and I mean, there's literally everything you add into your meat will be a huge factor on how it comes out at the end result. Uh, he, he mentions in his directions using the GoFirm as a starter. I will be doing this. Uh, he also mentions uh, using your nutrients uh, as directed. I personally use st uh, staggered nutrient additions following the Tosna example. Uh, he mentions using uh, pectic enzymes. So a there's a lot of confusion about pectic enzyme, but I've done a lot of personal research on this. So... If you add pectic enzyme in primary, what it will do is it actually breaks down uh, the pulp in the fruit that you have, which will actually help you not only with your clarity of your uh, mead, but it also will help with your juice yield, which actually helps a lot with your fruit flavoring. Um, one of the things that isn't really mentioned uh, in Robert Ratcliffe's book is uh, I use a mesh bag whenever I use fruit. And the reason I do this is uh, it actually makes removing the fruit after fermentation a lot easier, makes cleaning a lot easier. Uh, it also makes it to where uh, once you go to rack, you have less stuff sitting at the bottom that you have to worry about. Uh, another thing that he doesn't personally mention in his book uh, I personally like to use bentonite in primary. 
as well as uh, after I use bentonite and after I've stabilized the mead, which I don't stabilize until fermentation is finished. Uh, it's really hard to stop a fermentation, so it's important for people to understand that. Uh, you should wait until you've reached the uh, final gravity level that you're looking to reach, which for this recipe should be sitting around 12%. Um, maybe higher considering I'm using clover honey. That might change the recipe a little bit, especially with me caramelizing. Um, but once the fermentation has stopped, that's when you want to stabilize. And um, it's important that you wait until after fermentation has stopped because it's so, so hard to stop an active fermentation. It really is. Um, I mean, it's. I'm not gonna say it isn't possible, but it's incredibly dangerous to try to and expect it to work. Uh, you run the risk of creating a bottle bomb by doing this, which realistically, I don't think anybody wants to clean up that mess. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. There's two types of meme makers out there. Those of that have had to clean up the mess of a bottom, bottle bomb and uh, those that are about to clean up the mess of a bottle bomb. So uh, once you've stabilized, uh, I personally, what I do for my clearing methods is uh, I cold crash. And I, uh, what cold crashing is, is basically you throw your carboy or your fermentation container into um, like a cooler or something like that. And you basically are chilling your mead. And I normally let it sit for about a week, week and a half, sometimes two weeks uh, in cold crashing. Uh, what this does is it creates all your yeast uh, that are in your mead to sink down to the bottom, further making your mead easier to rack off of. Um, after I've racked off of the yeast and gone into my secondary uh, fermentation, I normally will add any additional flavorings if I'm going to. Uh, I don't think I'm going to with this mead, uh, but after I have added uh, my secondary uh, from there, I follow up my clearing with Sparkaloid. Now, the reason I use Bentonite and Sparkaloid in my meads is because Bentonite and Sparkaloid pull down different ions from each other. So this is actually getting a little bit more into the science of how these clearing agents work. Uh, by pulling uh, both your positive and negative ions, it helps promote a cleaner mead. Now, there is the question on, does this remove flavoring in your meat and i will say yes it does but it's such a minute amount that in my personal opinion you will not notice it unless you have an extremely good palate like you've been judging me for 10 years personally on my palate i've never noticed it uh to create that significant of a difference so uh, so once you finish your racking, uh, you go into finally bottling. Um, one of the big things that's important to keep in mind with every step along the way is keep your gear clean and sanitized. Everything that is going to touch your meat, clean and sanitize it. I personally like to use star sand. There are other methods available for sanitizing. The main Thing to keep in mind isn't so much what you use to sanitize as making sure that you sanitize everything. I mean, if it's a spoon you're using to mix your mead, your carboy, your fermentation bucket, your siphon, uh, your bottles even. 
every single thing that your meat is going to touch. Make sure you sanitize it. Uh, once you sanitize your bottles, that's where you go to um, fill them up. Uh, and then from there, you put your cork in. Uh, if you don't have a cork, uh, you can use swing bottles. The big thing to keep in mind here is make sure your meat is stabilized before bottling. Uh, now, there is something that a lot of people may want to look at doing prior to bottling, which is force carving. If you're going to have a carbonated meat, this honestly is the safest route to go about doing it, in my opinion. As um, bottle carving, especially with mead, is not really a very safe method. You're going to run into those bottle bomb problems. And again, you do not want to be one of those people that have to clean up that mess. Um, so before I end this kind of small episode for me i'm going to make a quick announcement for the podcast we are uh in the near future looking at doing videos as well in fact with this recipe i probably will do a video broadcast uh i will be creating a youtube page for us in the near future as well um as always i always invite mead makers to come onto the podcast talk with me and uh sit down and Normally, when I'm talking to somebody else on the podcast, I'll have a mead of some type. If not my own, then somebody else that I know I heavily respect that I'm drinking. And I'll talk about that mead on the show as well. Um, If you would like to send me some mead so that I can drink, I'm more than happy to try it out and uh, give my tasting notes on it. Granted, I'm not a mead judge, uh, so I can't promise you I will be as good as like Carvin Wilson or someone like that on telling you what you should do to change your mead but i could give you the notes that i would do personally to change so if you want to do a bottle trade i'm more than happy to do that i'll send you my mead in return for you sending me yours anyway this has been viking fuel we are incredibly glad to be back and uh, we will see you again in the near future